Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Before we dive in uh, to that, will you join me, please, in prayer right now? Dear Father, we thank you that here in this room, online, that we have gathered, we are here, we are your family. And we thank you for what you're doing here in our midst, in our lives, in this church. And yet, Lord, even as we gather and we just enjoy every single moment, we, we have to think of other families, families that are hurting right now due to uh, this weekend, 9-11, Lord, as I turned on the TV yesterday morning to just watch family member after family member share about their lost one, children who never were able to meet their dad or their mom, wives that were mourning the loss of their husband or husbands mourning the loss of their wives, remembering them and the beauty of of who they were, Lord, we, we pray for these families right now. That you, the God of all strength, the God of all peace, you, the God of all healing, would be healing and peace and strength to them. And Lord, even these many years later, they still grieve. Their loss is great. So Lord, we pray that you would meet them at the point of their deepest need and remind them of who you are. That you are the God who made them, who loves them, who's calling them to yourself. And Lord, I, I do I just give thanks in light of what I saw yesterday, various songs being sung, songs that were focused on you and, and prayers that were focused on you. And Lord, it was in the midst of all that pain, it was a wonderful thing to see just a bit of, of our country turning our eyes to you, Lord. May that be true of us more and more. We live in this divided culture, Lord, where people are at odds against one another. We don't listen to each other as we once did. And, and Lord, uh, there are many things for which, uh, Lord, we have repented. And Lord, there is so much work to be done. But Lord, we cannot be united as, as a country if we are not united around you. So God, may we in humility turn more and more to you, our God. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together today, Lord, and I pray too by your spirit that you'd be at work in each one of our lives, speaking to us, teaching us, reminding us, Lord, of your great love, of your grace, of who you are, and Lord, in these moments too, reminding us of how we can represent you to others in this world. Lord, we thank you and may you receive all the glory from it, Lord, in your name, amen, amen. Well, if you were with us when we kicked off this series uh, several weeks ago, we focused on a central passage, and it's something that Paul wrote to the church back then that really is pertinent for us here today. And I'll remind you of his words, 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 4, he says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone preaches to you a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, and I'm going to pause there for a moment. Have you heard about a different Jesus other than the Jesus we find in the Bible? I think we don't need to look very far because in our culture today, a lot of people talk about Jesus. There's a social justice Jesus that's out there that's being preached, a social justice Jesus. It's all about, you know, Jesus helping people. 
helping meet the, the hurt that someone has, but not a Jesus who went to the cross for them. A social justice Jesus, that would be another Jesus we hear in our culture. There's also the moral philosopher Jesus. The Jesus that came to present good morals for us to live by, and we should consider those, and some philosophies for us to consider, but really nothing more. And then there's the Jesus in our culture, the genie in a bottle Jesus. And that's being preached out there as well. The Jesus that would, they would say exists to meet whatever your desire is. Whatever you want, he's there to meet that. So really it's all about you. And then there's the political Jesus that we've seen rise up over the past year and a half or so. Uh, the Jesus that would be a Democrat or a Republican. There's all different versions of Jesus out there, but not the biblical Jesus. We've got to be careful. So Paul says, for if someone preaches to you a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And Paul was frustrated with the church back then. He's basically saying, you know what, there were people who used to worship right alongside of you. They were part of your faith family, but they're no longer there because they have fallen prey to another gospel another form of Jesus that's out there. They've been led astray. They're not with you, but you're so focused on your own salvation that you're not really doing anything about it. He was frustrated with them. And as we kicked off this series, what I learned, and it was good for us to learn that, that when it comes to these other gospels that are out there, when it comes to progressive Christianity, ex-evangelicalism, the emerging church, these various terms for somewhat the same thing, what we learned is that over 90% of you on that day, here in both services, had never heard those terms before. The idea of deconstruction. And so it was a wake-up call for all of us to be reminded of what's happening in our culture. That on the internet, through Instagram and other means, there is a movement that's out there aimed at calling people away from the very God who loves them. And so this is what Paul was warning us about. And that's why we began this series, Beyond Doubt, to help people move beyond the doubt that they're experiencing in order to experience new life, true life in Jesus Christ. And so today we end this series with somebody I think is very special, somebody who's an author on this subject, podcaster, speaker out there, Elisa Childers. And she's joining us here today, and I want you to join me in welcoming her here with us. Elisa. Come on up. Thank you. Thank you. Good oh, it's so good to have you here. All the way from Nashville, roughly Tennessee, yes, right? It's yes. so good to have you here. <laughs> and you know what? As I was thinking about your journey, in fact, we sent out, and I hope you got that this week, the first part of her story. You know, I mean, Elisa was in the, the gospel music industry. Uh, she was a singer. I mean, sang for Christ in powerful ways, and yet ended up attending a service one day of a pastor who was kind of helping to lead you away from the faith. And, and as I was thinking about your story, I was reminded again of C.S. Lewis, his his quote, he says, we all want progress, but progress means getting nearer to the place where you want to be. And if you have taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man or woman who turns back soonest is the most progressive person. Good. <laughs> and so for you, you walked away 
And yet, as he wrote about, you turned around and you came back to faith. And in so doing, perhaps here in this room, you might be one of the most progressive people here with <laughs> us. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for Christ's work in your life. And we're thankful really for how God is using you to touch the lives of people out there who are struggling in very much the same way. But I'd, I'd like you to share with us this morning, you, you walked away and yet you did that turnaround. And what caused that? Uh, what was that that helped you to kind of go, you know what, this isn't true. I, I've really got to turn the other way and come back to the God who loves me. What yeah. was that event about? Well, and I, you know, I don't want to exaggerate the, the deconstruction process that I, I went through. As you mentioned, mm -hmm. this progressive pastor was deconstructing all of these beliefs that I'd had my whole life that I, that I held so dear. And I didn't understand what was happening to me at the time. I just knew that these seeds of doubt had been sown so deeply into my own heart that I so desperately wanted to believe that the gospel was true and that, <clears throat> excuse me, that Jesus was everything I ever thought that he was. But so much of that had been deconstructed intellectually. I kind of had a double mind. It's like, on, on one hand, I knew Jesus. I'd walked with him my whole life. But on the other hand, this pastor was able to intellectually convince me that it wasn't true. And so I was living in this really tormented place. Uh, I never lost my faith entirely or, or walked away from God in that sense. But I just remember crying out to God one night. I was rocking my baby and it was dark in the room, but the darkness was more than just like the lights being off. It felt really, really dark. And I, I, I was just feeling like God doesn't exist, like he's not really out there. And so I, I just cried out to God and I said, God, if you exist, if this gospel message is true, then please send me somebody who can talk to me, uh, who can answer some of the claims that this pastor had made. Because the one thing I'm thankful for is, I, I was raised to think critically by my parents. Um, and so I was questioning some of the things the pastor had been saying. And I, I remember thinking, he knows all this information that I've never heard before, and he's come to this conclusion. There has to be somebody out there who knows all that same information but has come to the other conclusion. I just I wanna hear both sides. And if I'm gonna walk away from Christianity, I wanna make sure I'm walking away from the real thing and not just the version that I was given growing up. And so from there, uh, through a series of events, I discovered apologetics. And if you're unfamiliar with what apologetics is, we're not apologizing for anything. It's just a word that means giving reasons for why we believe what we do. So in Christian apologetics, that's gonna branch through a lot of different disciplines like archeology, span science, philosophy, uh, New Testament studies, uh, textual criticism, different branches of, of uh, learning, basically, to, to provide evidence for why we believe the Christian worldview is true. And so I studied for years, and the Lord really used apologetics to help rebuild my faith. So I'm thrilled to be able to be here, maybe to help some other people who might be going through something similar. We are too, and we're glad that you're here. So as you kind of engage with deconstruction, a big part of that, as we've talked about, is to deconstruct you know, certain elements of your faith and maybe to rebuild them again. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't, I just leave it all together. But for you, as you kind of took this journey, was there anything about your faith that you had prior to this mm -hmm. experience with this pastor and the journey that followed that you modified regarding your faith or maybe left behind regarding your faith? What was that like for you? Yeah, certainly. So when I was, when my faith was reconstructing, I grew up uh, with wonderful Christian parents and I grew up in a, in a very 
uh, genuine Christian environment. Uh, but, but I had never heard of hermeneutics, which is the, the study of interpreting the Bible properly. Um, I had never heard of, well, I probably heard of systematic theology, but I'd never studied systematic theology or church history or, or any of these apologetic type arguments. So at the, you know, as I studied, it was interesting because those core gospel building blocks that really unite Christians and have made Christianity unique in the world for 2,000 years, uh, those were, were solid, right? Mm-hmm. Those were, the, the gospel was there. Uh, but certainly there were issues that we might consider to be secondary or third tier issues that I changed my mind on as I did begin to really study the Bible in its proper context. Um, but, but I think that's the thing, you were talking about progressive Christianity, is that very often in progressive Christianity, all beliefs are put on the same level, which biblically speaking, we know that's not true. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 15, when he gives us a creed, he says, this is of first importance. So right there we know that things like the atonement of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, those are more important than maybe where you land on predestination and free will and all of that stuff. So there were some definite course corrections that I made, some, some tweaks and some secondary issues, but the, the delightful thing was that this gospel message I'd believed my whole life, I really came out on the other side of it uh, more convinced than ever that, that it's true and that there's evidence for that in, in reality. What about those essential beliefs? Uh, you mentioned some of those briefly. But, in your journey as you're kind of wrestling with what this pastor was teaching and you kind of went home and you're dealing with all of that, was there an essential belief of all of those that you wrestled with the most mm-hmm. that really caused you the most thinking and praying and processing? Yeah, I, I think it would probably have to be the cross. So in this class that I was in, see, I've always known that I was a sinner and that I needed a savior. And I think that the gospel is only gonna be beautiful to people who understand that they're sinners. I I always knew that about myself. And that's why I was so grateful for the gospel. That's why I always thought the cross, what Jesus accomplished on the cross was so beautiful. So when this pastor was talking about the cross in terms like saying, well, if God the Father required the blood sacrifice of his only son, doesn't that make God a divine child abuser? And so I started to hear phrases like cosmic child abuse as they would be related to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And I knew right then and there, if I don't have the cross, I don't have Christianity. And so that was a, that was a huge pillar for me in the beginning. And that's one really deep dive issue I, I went into fairly early on. Pretty powerful. And so you're really wrestling with, with doubt. I mean, in yeah. all of that, uh, certain levels of doubt, doubt about certain beliefs. And doubt is crucial. That's what we called our series, Beyond Doubt, to help people uh, find life in, in God and, in, and through Jesus Christ. But, but doubt, and when you look at the Bible, um, it doesn't necessarily say that doubt is a bad thing. In fact, doubt can make your faith stronger. I mean, you referenced earlier in Mark 9 in the first service, you know, this father who comes up to Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Mm-hmm. And so doubt, if you approach it right, can make your faith stronger. But I think as I, as I talked to certain people who've gone through this process or are going through it, uh, they've shared that when it comes to their doubt and when it comes to the church in general, people, Christians many times, didn't respond very positively to their doubt. They felt judged for even having a doubt at all, and so they ended up looking elsewhere. 
And I think that's caused some people to walk away from the faith because they didn't find a place that, that people would listen and respond. Yeah. And to that, the Bible tells us to have mercy on those who doubt. Mm-hmm. And so it's the idea that we are to have compassion and to help people through that process. But I think deconstruction, and I'm getting to my question in just a moment here, it, it's really about a doubt that takes people deep. Mm deep into it is one person wrote he says doubt and disillusionment have become the new form of enlightenment it somehow sounds more authentic to share our doubt mm-hmm. than it is to share our faith with confidence yeah. that's, that's really good that's really profound yeah it is so let's talk about doubt yeah what is the good how do you know if you have a good form of doubt and how do you know if you have maybe a doubt that's hurting you mm-hmm. and if you have a doubt that's hurting you how do you respond What are the next steps? So doubt is a topic that I think a lot about and I have a lot of opinions about. I I personally believe that healthy doubt, you know, because there are different kinds of doubt, but I would say healthy doubt, which I would define as honest doubt seeking answers. Uh, That is an essential part of growing in maturity as a Christian. And the reason I say that is because if we don't doubt some of the things we've been taught, let's say I think about somebody who might have grown up in a cult. If they're taught to never doubt and they never question those beliefs, they'll never come out of that cult. And so I think it's important for Christians to say, okay, why do I believe that the Bible is God's word? Why do I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins? Why do I believe he's coming again? Why do I believe he was resurrected from the dead? What importance do those things have to the gospel? I think those are essential questions that every Christian needs to ask. But I think there's sometimes a fear of doubt in the church because there's, there's sort of a misunderstanding that doubt is somehow evidence of a weak faith. I would actually argue that doubt is evidence that somebody's actually thinking through their faith, and, and that's a positive thing. Um, but I think that's because a lot of Christians have a faulty understanding what faith is. We think it's some kind of leap in the dark, which interestingly, a lot of Christians have the same definition of faith as atheists do. You know, Richard Dawkins, a new atheist, famously said about faith that it's, it's belief in spite of there being no evidence for what you believe. And sometimes even if there's, especially because there's no evidence, you, that's what faith is. But that's not what the Bible describes as faith. The Bible describes faith as trust. And that's trust that's based upon good evidence. You know, every one of you exercised faith when you came and sat down in the pew today, but you probably didn't even think about it. You trusted that the pew would hold you because there's good evidence to believe that it would, but there's a chance it could collapse. I mean, maybe one of the pews is old or has a screw loose or something like that, but you trusted based on good evidence. And so I think when we understand it in that context, doubt can actually only bubble up within the context of belief, of faith, because you can't doubt something unless you believe it. And so in that sense, I think that's very healthy and that's something we, we should encourage. Now, the, the, when you said, what, how, when can a doubt hurt you? I think diagnosis is really important when it comes to doubt. Why are you doubting? So for some people, it can be uh, doubting the moral character of God. It can be you've, you've been through a lot of suffering and haven't had your prayers answered. And maybe it's doubt based on that. There can be intellectual doubt. There can be all kinds of different doubt. But when we really parse it out, there's really just two kinds. There's that one kind I described, the healthy kind. And then there's doubt that's really just seeking justification for unbelief. You've already decided you're out 
and now you're looking for reasons to prove that true. And I think that's a very unhealthy kind of doubt, and I think that's what we see so often in the deconstruction movement that you mentioned before. Yeah, and so when it comes to doubt then, um, you know, I think what I, I keep reading and I keep seeing is that many times um, people start really doubting some of these things that are not essentials mm -hmm. that leads them to doubt even things that are more essential to their faith. And so that leads us right back to the gospel. You know, Paul warns us here, I read earlier, that we need to know what the gospel is so we know when somebody's presenting something that it isn't. Right. right. So if you were telling somebody right now, they're coming up to you, they're, they're doubting uh, the faith, and you're going to share with them what the gospel is, what would you say the gospel is? Can you tell us that? And then when it comes to progressive Christianity, what's different then about it? Right. Well, in Jude, Jude talks about this one faith that's been passed down. So there's one, there's one gospel. There aren't many different gospels. There's one gospel. And like we mentioned, there's gonna be secondary issues that, or stylistic issues that Christians disagree about. But there's one faith, it's one thing. And so what is that? And so the gospel, of course, means good news. So it's the proclamation of the message of the good news of God's redemption and salvation plan for, for people and for, for creation. And so I've heard people parse it out into uh, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so if we follow that narrative arc, essentially what we have is God creates the world and he creates humans. They're in right relationship with God. But instinctively, I think we all know that for love to be possible, to be actualized, there has to be choice. Because you could just program a robot to love you, but that's not actual love. That would just be a computer program. So it has to be choice. He gives them choice. And of course, Adam and Eve chose to rebel against him. They chose to do it their way. Well, this introduced sin and death into the world. Now this creates a big problem for humans because now when they give birth to people and their people give birth to people, that sin nature gets passed down. We're all sinners. But God being perfectly holy means he can't be in unity with sin. So now we're separated from God. So that's the, that's the bad news that precedes the good news. The good news is, is that God says, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna provide a way for you to be made in right relationship with me. So we have the incarnation, God in the flesh, Jesus living a perfectly sinless life, taking our sins upon himself. So for all of those who put their trust in him, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Jesus that's imputed to you. And then of course, Jesus being raised from the dead as a sign, like that's the evidence that everything he said about himself, all the claims he made about himself are true. He called the resurrection a sign his ascension into heaven, and then his second coming, at which there'll be a, a final judgment. And that's when every human who's ever been born will face God. And if for those who love him and want to be in his presence and want to be under his rule forever, they'll get what they want. And they'll get to be in his presence with all tears wiped away. Uh, but for those who have rejected that, for those who don't want to be in his presence, who those who have rejected his rule and reign here on this earth, they will go to their eternal destination in a place of punishment called hell. So that, that's essentially the, the overarching view of the gospel. And then you mentioned, you know, how do some of these movements reject some of that? Um, and, and by the way, if you want a deeper dive on this, my, my book is available out there where I chronicle my journey through progressive Christianity and kind of the different points of this, but I'll just give the, the overarching flyover here. 
In my book, I argue that progressive Christianity is a different religion because it has a different gospel. It's a different God, it's a different Jesus, it's not a Jesus who can save you. And it starts with the foundations of that narrative arc. Uh, For the most part, uh, progressive Christians, by the way, believe different things, but they're pretty much united in what they deny. And in my analysis, I've, I've analyzed the leaders of the movement, the ones that are producing the material. So what I'm telling you today may not be what the average person in the pew would say, but this is what the leaders of the movement are saying. So they, they reject the idea that sin separates you from God. In fact, their gospel message is, you just need to realize how beloved you are already. You need to realize this, uh, this God spark of divinity that's already inside you. If you feel separated from God, it's just in your own mind. So that's essentially just where it starts. So then, of course, if you get to the cross, that's where we're getting the cosmic child abuse idea. They reject that view of atonement. And uh, very often, you know, in, in the, with the resurrection, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Some progressive Christians believe he was resurrected. Some believe he wasn't. It's not really important if you believe that. Uh, but generally speaking, when it gets to that final judgment, uh, progressive Christians are largely universalistic in the sense that they, they don't believe that there's a literal hell. So whatever their view of eternity is, it's definitely not going to involve a place of punishment called hell. And so you can see how there's a denial on virtually every point of that narrative arc of God's redemptive acts throughout history, which in my view makes it an entirely different religion. Yeah. So then in light of what you just said, you know, so I was thinking about what you said, why is the cross then so essential? Well, you know, Paul said the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And I think we see the same thing today. Um, we live in a culture that wants you to believe you're perfect just as you are. Uh, I have kids who are tw- uh, 12 and 10, and almost all of the media that's being produced for them is to boost their view of themselves, is to tell them you're enough for yourself, you don't need anything outside of yourself, you're perfect just as you are, you are in control of your own destiny, you get to decide what works for you, you get to follow your heart, you get to follow your instincts, and, and this is actually, an, it sounds positive, but it's actually an anti-gospel message because it's really just not popular today to tell people that you're a sinner. I mean, you're not gonna land a Netflix special with you're not enough, right? That is just not gonna fly. And so I think that it's a very unpopular message to, to tell someone you're actually really broken. You were born broken. Because then if you tell them that, there's such a stumbling block right there. So then when you come in with, but Jesus died on the cross for you, it's, it's just, it's like such a strange concept. And so, of course, I think, you know, with the cosmic child abuse claim, that's really built upon an, a, a faulty understanding of the Trinity. You know, for God to require a blood sacrifice for justice to be served, he is justice. We only know what justice is because of his nature and character. And it's actually the opposite of cosmic child abuse because God isn't saying, oh, I'm gonna just pull some random whipping boy and I just need to see somebody get punished and then I'll be satisfied. No, he's looking around and saying, I'll do it myself. And that's why we have God in the flesh, Jesus. So an understanding of the Trinity will tell us that Jesus willingly came. In fact, he said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. I have the authority to do that. Jesus had the authority to say, no, I don't wanna do it. But he did that for us, to take our sins upon himself. And for for those of us who know we're sinners, that's a beautiful message. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. Thank you. And as powerful as the gospel is, as beautiful as the gospel is, 
Uh, what we're seeing is that people will walk away from it. Uh, they, they tell us themselves, the people who have, uh, due to anomalies that they face, kind of these surprises that come their way, or not necessarily to themselves personally, but maybe to a friend who has experienced that, so then they kind of you know, join with them and take on the burden with them. Like when somebody experiences a trauma in their life, if, if they don't feel that there are Christians around that listen to them and care for them, they're going to look for someone else who will and listen to a very different message. Or when hypocrisy creeps up again within the church, and they're going to go, you know what, there's just another example of why then that isn't true. Or, you know, perceived contradictions in the Bible. They'll say, well, see, that, that means it's, it's not really relevant or it's not reliable. And so they'll hear that from somebody else or they'll experience it themselves in some way. And then they'll, they'll take a hike. And we've talked about that in this series and addressed those three anomalies. But for you, as you deal with, with people that are wrestling with deconstruction, are there others? Are there other important yeah. reasons that we should know about so we can better respond to others? Yeah, this is a great question. And so part of my research, I listen to a lot of deconstruction stories, people who, you know, there, there are entire podcasts dedicated to having people come on and tell why they're walking away from Christianity. And so I, I would add two or three more, I, I, but this one, first one may be related to both the trauma and the hypocrisy, and that would be spiritual abuse. Uh, there are people who have walked through very legitimate experiences of church abuse. I think we're seeing some of those scandals come to light. And frankly, I'm thankful. I think I'm, praise God, that he's shining light on it so that we can expose that stuff. We can uh, confront that stuff and give help to the victims and confront the abusers. I think that's, that's very biblical and godly. Jesus had a lot to say about abusive leaders. But often what I've seen happen when somebody goes through a situation of spiritual abuse, they assign that to the entire church. And, 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 you know, we've seen a lot come out into the news, but I don't know if things are that different now. Maybe they are, but we just have so much access to knowing about everything. This has probably been going on for 2,000 years. We just don't hear about it because we didn't have social media yet. So, you know, that may be one vehicle through which God's exposing it to clean house. Uh, but, but what I've seen people do is say, well, I had this abusive experience with this pastor or whoever, and they think the entire church is that way, and they think that that there's something in the gospel message that's causing that. So they want to walk away from the whole thing. Uh, another one would be uh, hyper-legalism. Growing up in a spiritual environment where things were added to scripture, where it was so impossibly hard to live up to the standard. And just to give you an example, I personally know someone who was told as a kid, you know, if you're caught in a bowling alley or a movie theater when the rapture happens, like you're not going to go. You know, because they serve alcohol at the bowling alley or something. And so, you know, just adding those extra legalistic things to scripture um, is another reason. And then people conflate the whole thing together and they throw it away. But I think possibly the most common thread that runs through every deconstruction, and I mean everyone, I've not heard one deconstruction story where the next anomaly or thread sort of runs through it. And that is just this assumption that what the Bible teaches about morality and sexuality is wrong. Once somebody has decided that that's the case, the whole ball of yarn unravels. And, and I think that's a thread that I see through almost every, well, I, I think it's safe to say every deconstruction story that I've ever listened to, even if the person themselves isn't wrestling with their own sexuality. Uh, it, it, I, I have so much compassion on young people that are growing up right now 
being told, hey, if you hold to what the Bible teaches about sexuality, for example, not only are you bigoted and hateful, but you're actually causing harm to people. You're hurting people with these beliefs. And so the pressure to capitulate to culture on that is so strong. And so especially like in progressive Christianity, if they're told, hey, you can change your mind on that, and here are some Bible verses you can use to try to make that case, and you can still be a Christian, I I can understand why that's so tempting, and that can be a major part of a deconstruction process. Yeah, and building on that, when I think about uh, kids growing up in a culture today, I also think about their parents. You know, they have to help guide them. And, um, you know, so what would you say to parents today? First of all, what would you say to parents who have students, children, who, as far as they know, I mean, they're following the Lord. What would you say to them? And what would you say to parents today that, that have kids who have walked down this pathway of deconstruction at some level? Maybe they've redefined their faith or left the faith altogether. What would you say to those parents? So this is a great question, and this is something I give a lot of thought to, again, as I have kids who are 12 and 10. And I think for the families who have kids who are walking with the Lord, they're going on the mission trips, they're reading their Bibles, they're excited about their faith, uh, or even, you know, I'll even add, before that happens, I don't think we should rush kids, by the way, into making some kind of profession of faith. I think they, they need to be convinced that, that they are sinners, that they need a savior, that this is all true. Um, so I think the best thing and the younger you can start, the better, is to make your home and your relationship with your child a safe place for all those conversations to happen. And you can initiate those conversations in creative ways. You can just be, you know, kids are different. Like my son loves to talk when he's doing Legos and I can engage him more when we play Legos. And with my daughter, it might be on a walk or or sitting at the dinner table or something. But just asking questions like, hey, what's your biggest question about God? And your early reactions to those types of interactions are going to be key to signal your child whether or not you're a safe place to talk about this with. And so I would urge you not to ever react in fear or opposition or any kind of, uh, even if you feel it inside, when you ask your kid that question, what's your biggest question about God? Like I've trained myself, whatever comes out of their mouth, to just take a breath and be like, wow, what an amazing question. You are really thinking this through. That's awesome. And that gives you a second to think about it too. <laughs> but, but just to be able to be an inviting space and you don't have to know the answer. Even if you don't know the answer, even better, show your kid what it means to be humble and say, man, I've never thought about that before. Let's, let's investigate that question together. And, and then go on a journey with your child about that. And I just, I, I cannot express how important it is to not react and like, well, just believe, just because the Bible says so, this or that. And ask your kids questions. Well, what made, what made you think of that question? Uh, oh, that's interesting. Did you hear, what, what were they saying? Okay. And just don't react in fear. I think that's just the best advice I can give is establish yourself as the Google of their lives. Because mm-hmm. if it's not you, it will be Google. And you don't want that. So, um, so that would be the first thing. And then the, the second group where I, I do get a lot of emails from parents who have grown children who have gone through deconstruction or maybe are deconstructing. And my advice to them is if you, you have to analyze and kind of do some diagnosis of where your child is at. If they're out the door, they're, they're deconstructed, they don't want to hear from you, you, know, you might respond differently than if they're inviting you into the process. Figure out where you, what role you play in that process. If they're, if they're in a position where 
they're inviting you into it. You know, I, I would, again, similar advice. Don't respond with fear. Don't condemn them. Ask them questions. Genuine curiosity. I, you know, I really want to understand, you know, even if I have some false beliefs, I want to I examine those. So, so help, you know, help me understand how you got here. Where, where is this coming from? And then, you know, they might express maybe there was some legalistic thing you did when they were kids, you know, just own it. Be like, you know what? I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know, just to, to acknowledge what you can, or if maybe they had a, a situation of abuse at a church, acknowledge that and acknowledge whatever you can. And then asking really good questions can get somebody to come around. There's a great book called Tactics by Greg Kokel. It teaches you how to do that, how to ask questions in a non-threatening way that will get somebody thinking. Uh, but for the parents who maybe have the kid who's out the door, they don't wanna hear from you. They, they, you're conservative Christian, they don't wanna hear from you at all. The best thing you can do for them is just live with joy and peace, the beauty of the gospel in front of them because I promise you, I, I'm starting to see this now, that when people get to the bottom of the deconstruction movement, and it is a movement, you can go on Instagram and search the hashtag deconstruction. There are workshops, there are entire pages dedicated to helping people deconstruct their faith. It's organized, there's influencers, there's YouTube platforms. So knowing that, my advice would be to, they're gonna get to the bottom of that, and I'm starting to see people say, hey, all these people, decon you know, I deconstructed with these people. They've given me nothing to put in its place. And they're wandering aimless and it creates a vacuum and a void. And I think we're gonna see fallout from the deconstruction movement. All these people that think this is this great thing and this new exciting journey to walk away from your faith, they get to the bottom of it and, and you're gonna be there to offer them the gospel again and they may see it with new, fresh eyes. I've always wanted to know what that felt like. I've known Jesus as far back as I can remember. I've always wanted to know what it would be like to hear the gospel from a fresh perspective. Maybe, you know, maybe God's just working through all of this to, to bring his true followers to be able to see it in a fresh way. So don't react in fear. Live it out in front of them with joy. Just be the opposite of every, every stereotype they think you're supposed to be. And, uh, and, and I, I just think that that's probably the best thing you can do at that point. Wonderful. Thank you. Friends, uh, her book is out in the lobby. I encourage you to pick that up. It's, it's, it's incredible. I encourage you to pick it up and read it and give it to someone else that you know because it's such a helpful tool. And also today at 2 o'clock, uh, those watching online, those who are here, right in the chapel at 2 o'clock, Elisa will be here to answer any questions that you have. So come ready with your questions. And it's going to be an incredible time we'll have together. But for now, can we thank Elisa thank for her leadership here? Will you stand with me? Dear Father, we thank you that out of your incredible love for us, you saw us in our need. You saw us in our sin and you sent us a solution, your own son, the Savior. And Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, the Father, your obedience to face the cross, Lord, to suffer and die in our place, and then to rise again so that we could know new life through you, through following you, through repentance obedience in our love for you every single day. Father, we thank you. And as we heard Elisa tell us that we would live out what we believe beautifully and, and humbly and powerfully before others so that our children and the others that we work with and others in our family and others that live on our streets would come to see you and to know you. 
That's our desire, Lord, that you would receive the glory, the praise, because you are God and God alone. And this we believe. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.